You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. I don't know. For those of you that were, that were here with us last week, you remember that I said... Um, get used to different. Um, I wasn't really thinking like this kind of thing. Uh, let me just say real quick a couple of things about it. Um, the, the school kind of sprung it on us. Uh, I am amazed every week at the, the phenomenal team to make things happen and get over some of the challenges and difficulties and the positivity with which they do that. So thank you. Equally, <clears throat> I realise some people will love this because it's like it's easier, you don't have to put the chairs out, all of that. This, the reasons I find it quite hard is if you're new you kind of have to do a walk of shame and everybody looks at you and if you need to pop out or get a bit bored of what I'm saying or would, would rather just dip in and out or are exploring Jesus, this is really hard for you and therefore that's why we wouldn't do this. Um, equally, the, the, the other thing is what I actually find really quite helpful and also if you've got young children and all that kind of thing, but what, what I find helpful sometimes is the symbolism of kind of it feels like you're in the stands and I'm not. And and the thing I think we've always been about as a church is trying to call people out of the stands onto the field of play, that this isn't just one person or a few people that get to live out their faith and do something. We all do. And so can I just almost remind you of the symbolism this morning? What, I, what I'm desperately trying to do if I do nothing else is actually draw you into the fullness of what God has for you, out of the stands onto the field of play, to realize you get to have a living relationship with Jesus and to stand and to walk in power and authority that he anoints you with. And Steph, a minute ago, just said to me, it feels like at any point somebody could burst out from the back. And I, I kind of also want to say there's, there's like a sense of expectation, therefore, that we should have with that. And the, the symbolism as well that I see is like, it's like there, there is a door, but the door is on the inside, and you've got access to the handle, and it's only you that can do something about it. So let me just pray for us before I start. Lord, I just pray right now that we would all have this stirring in our hearts, a stirring for our affection for you, but also a stirring to fully embrace all that it is that you died for us for, not just to call us out of something, but to call us into something. Lord, and I pray for each of us that, that this morning our hearts would be awakened to the fullness. Lord, we, we, we see in part, but the part we see, we want to see a greater part. We want to step into more. We want to believe for more. We want to believe that the, 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 the deaf will hear, that the blind will see. Lord, that we get to fully live in relationship with the living God. Lord, and so open our hearts, open our minds. Lord, draw us afresh. Give us that moment. Sometimes we just need a moment of realization, of activation. And I pray that afresh, this is it for us, Lord. Pray that we don't, we don't, we don't live lukewarm. Lord, we want to be either hot or cold. And I pray this morning that we'd be hot. I pray that we'd choose the fullness of what you have for us. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We welcome you as an active individual choice. Increase our awareness of your presence among us, Lord. Amen.
I want to I want to kind of speak about being the empowered church. We've been on this journey of a series with that, and it kind of feels quite appropriate to even start by saying that. But I also want to say this honestly. I love that we get to be church. I love that we get to be an empowered church. I think it was barely even a year ago you couldn't legally sit on a park bench with somebody else. So isn't it a joy to be together? I'd, I'd take any setup or any layout, but we, we get to come together and we get to worship Jesus. And yes, of course, there's logistics of that. And there's, there's, there's relational challenges sometimes that come with being a family and a church together. But goodness me, what a joy it is and what a delight it is and what a joy it is to be part of a, a growing family. And I think sometimes for, for some of us, we have to be careful with the word family because it's often misunderstood in today's culture. So many carry the scarrings and the bruising of the concept of family. But also family, even if we understand it in the way I think God intended it for us, sometimes that that almost can't in our minds be the end point because we're a missional family we're seeking to be more than we are and we've got to step out and we've got to reach out and to include and incorporate others even just how they were showing about the the increase of small groups is a is a beautiful thing but you find it interesting though that it's not actually always comfortable or easy to do that because it's often easier to stay as we are and that in our heads sometimes is actually perceived as the more comfortable thing to do. The problem often is in when we're comfortable, things don't grow and they often stagnate and they often flounder and we're called to grow, but growth brings change and change often brings pain. Now that's, that's not a bad thing. I just think we have to realize it and we have to embrace it. Some of you may have thought, well, I, I wanna know everybody. And actually, you get to the point where you're like, I'm not sure it's that easy to do that. I used to be in a room where I I knew everybody. And now you're in a room where you have to adjust to be in a room with others in the room. And that room itself is in another room, if that makes sense. And again, that's I don't think that's a bad thing. I just think we have to be aware of it and we have to call out our pains and our insecurities and press into the leading of the Holy Spirit in stepping into all that I believe he has for us. But I just want to encourage you with all of that in mind to consistently do two things. We could probably list a load of things, but I think there's two things that are really important. The first one is read your Bible. Honestly, I always feel like this is a moment in the calendar where it's helpful to refresh our minds. As you jump into the new year, get a reading plan. Try and actively step into it more, but read it, read it, and reread it. Hebrews 4, verse 12, the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, and it exposes um, innermost thoughts and desires. So often we interpret the time and we interpret the culture through our lens, but we need to do it through the lens of the Bible being our primary standpoint. That'll be the first thing I wanted to say. The second one is this, step into community. Honestly, step into small groups, step into serve, step into support, step into learn how to flourish in accountable, consistent relationships alongside others, adopting a teachable heart and a teachable posture. Acts 2 Verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it says, and to the fellowship and to meeting and sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to pray. A deep sense of awe came over them all. 
and the apostles performed many miracles, sorry, many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those that were being saved. I know for many of you, that's a very familiar passage. But I kind of want to say, don't get picked off. Don't try and do this alone. Or we, 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 we kind of know that's right, but we've got to align with the truth of the scripture. We've got to give ourselves to fellowship. I honestly rarely talk about our children because I want this to be their church and their church family and I just try and let them be them rather than sticking a spotlight on them anyhow but um and it's also really dangerous I think to lead through the lens of your children we want to prioritize them but not pander to them but so I'm just going to break my own rule by sharing a, a story about them because last Sunday our youngest she's five she said to me daddy I really don't like church and um I'm always pretty relaxed about these things because kids come and go. But, you know, if ever there was like a head swing moment of like, so what, what, did, you just, what did you just say? Like there's, a, there's that alarm bell moment of, hey, hang on a minute, what did you say? And I'm like, oh, real, you know, me- pretty measured. Like, oh, yeah, okay, tell me what you mean by that. And basically, anyway, what she meant was the cafe outside last week. I don't know if you noticed. I actually didn't even notice. But apparently it had a load of Halloween stuff all over it. And she sees this as our church building. This isn't a school. This is her church. And so she's like, why as a church would we put Halloween stuff up everywhere? And I'm like, brilliant. Okay, I can deal with that one. We can get around this because we, we haven't. So I sorted that one out in seconds. Anyway, later in the day, she said to me, someone, basically someone in the church very kindly last Sunday gave us some honey, like a big jar of honey. And um, she said later on, she says, they're so fickle, aren't they, how they switch? She's like, I love our church. Um, somebody even gave us honey. And um, I'm sorry I'm taking you on the journey of, like, the last week and the journey of a five-year-old's mind. But then, then she said um, ab- about one of you, who one of you is a school teacher, even though you're not actually her school teacher, she said, they're the best teacher in the world because they're my school teacher. And I'm like, well, they're, they're kind of not, but I, I, I actually see what you're saying. And uh, anyway, as I was kind of pondering some of those things, as you often do, I kind of developed getting a bit whammed by it this week. And what do I mean by whammed? I kind of mean that I encountered something of the Holy Spirit. And I, I want to say this. I love the church. I love that Jesus is coming back for it. But I love this church. And I think you could probably say, actually, maybe that's quite a helpful thing. But I, I love that somebody gave us a jar of honey just because and I I love that somebody sent us a card on the church's sixth birthday a few weeks back and I love that our kids read that card and they were kind of a bit blown away and I love that last Sunday someone left some flowers on our doorstep just to encourage Steph and I love that a couple of you a few weeks ago took a day off work just to help me do something and I'm actually really bad if I'm honest at helping people do stuff for me I love doing stuff for other people, but when it comes to doing it for me. And so I was quite humbled and challenged and shaped. And those, those little things might sound like little things, but actually they're really significant building blocks because those little acts of kindness over a period of time change lives. And I've shared some of the ways that just even over the last few weeks, some of you even 
through small acts of kindness have reached into our lives. But I see so many of those things in so many of your lives. Somebody's dropped off medicine or somebody's run an errand or somebody's helped somebody with a CV or somebody's helped somebody understand a contract or remembered somebody's birthday or stood with somebody and laughed with them and cried with them or somebody's gone with somebody to a hospital appointment or walked somebody's dog or helped somebody with their business or given them an envelope with cash in it or somebody's text somebody with an encouragement or dropped a meal round or given them a voucher for a takeaway. And I know some of you will sit there and think, well, that's not really ever happened to me and I don't get any of that. And I understand what you're saying because actually I felt like that at times in my previous journeys through church and you can kind of feel like if only you knew the hurt and the pain that I'm carrying or the hardship that I'm in, and yet nobody seems to help me. And I, I hear that because, again, that was once me. But I, I want to say two things, and, of course, two things among many others. is really this. Honestly, read your Bible and step into community. I used to be quite hard to love. I think some of you would still say I'm quite hard to love now, and I thank you for your, for your grace and your kindness, which, by the way, I'm not saying that's why you're not finding it or feeling it, because you're hard to love. I'm just acknowledging that I'm not who I was. And sometimes even now, I actually find it hard to be in community, because I find it hard to be unconditionally loved. And I find it hard when I have to walk through some of the stuff that is uncovered through that, and more layers of my own brokenness that are sometimes maybe collided with somebody else and I have to acknowledge it and I have to deal with it. And yet there is no place that I would rather be because I'm not who I was. I'm still not who I'm going to be, but I'm grateful for the gift of the church and the bride of Christ helping me come into the fullness and shaping me along the way as we obediently open ourselves to the Holy Spirit and as we live out the mandate that he has for us and our lives. And to think we get the honor, the privilege, and the delight of sharing what we have with others. As something is given to us, we get the joy of sharing it with others. We get to give. And not only do we get to give, we actually get to give it. We're supposed to release the thing that is released to us rather than hold on to it. And sometimes the journey together is painful. I acknowledge that. I know for some of you, doing church and life together is painful. Of course it is, because we're people. And also, as we journey life out together, we uncover more of our stuff that needs to be softened, and we often think the problem is the other person, and then sometimes, over time, we start to realize, actually, we can't change others, but we can change ourselves, and we stick our stuff in front and center before the Holy Spirit, who is holy, and he shapes us, and he molds us. And the one prayer that I can pretty much guarantee you he'll answer every time is change me, or help me know how or where I should be changed. 1 John <clears throat> 1 5 says this, this is the message we heard from Jesus, and now, de- de- and now declare to you, God is light, and there is no darkness in him at all. So we're lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness because we're not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and we're not living in the truth. But we confe- if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. My reading of that is we have stuff, but we can let him sort it out. 1 John 2 verse 1. We have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of the world. We're often the ceiling to our own growth, and we have to place ourselves in the soil to become all that could be and to live out fully all that we were created for. You know, next May is the weekend away. I want to say this, honestly plan to be there. In a couple of weeks, it's cause to live for. Honestly, I know for some of you, it's going to cost you a few quid. It's going to cost you your time. But surely we try and place ourselves in environments that challenge us and spur us on to the fullness. Maybe it's joining a team and that is again going to inconvenience you but it's going to inconvenience you for the sake of others. I will always encourage you, turn up 15 minutes early. Leave 15 minutes later than you planned. Have the same mindset for small group. Don't actually do it, because I think the leader would be annoyed if you're always turning up 15 minutes early and leaving mega late. But it's that kind of mindset that we want to be first in last night. And I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to make that a rule. You know, I know for some of you that doesn't work with babysitters and, and, and life and all the ins and outs. But I'm saying there's growth environments. And surely we want to choose growth environments. We want to choose kingdom advancement moments. And for some of you, maybe you're nearer in the room. But you, you may be thinking this because this is the kind of thing I was, would be thinking if I was listening to this is, Paul, hang on a minute. Are you harassing me to be part of things? I'm not sure I'd use the word harass. But other than that, I think I am, if I'm really honest with you. I think, I think I'd call it this. I want to fight for you. And I, I want to see you be empowered. And I don't want to see you be an expe- a spectator. I want to call you out of the stands on the, on the field of play. My life has changed. And I'm, I'm ruined, but in a good way. I think it's really just the pearl of great price. Matthew 13 verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he's discovered a pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and he bought it. Don't, don't just dip a toe in, sell everything. Give everything. Yeah, it will cost you everything, but goodness me, you don't count what you sell and what you give up when you realize and see what you gain. I can't back away from trying to empower us just because at times maybe that feels uncomfortable because we can't stay as we are. We've got to press in for more. Let's just this morning just um, dig into one specific particular area. I want to briefly talk about healing because to be an empowered church, we we, we, we actually have to live in this place of tension. I know for some of you instantly I've just walked into something that actually feels hard. Living in uncertainty is the vehicle through which so often the Holy Spirit, the Lord himself, shapes us. Because mature people, and we become mature, and the means by which he draws us closer to himself and restores us to our truest resource, which is him, is often through uncertainty. And in order to manage the pain that invariably comes our way, we've got to focus our attention and our faces and our hearts on the Lord and trust in his sovereignty, knowing that he ultimately does have control 
of our circumstances, even in the moments where we maybe think otherwise. <clears throat> but living in uncertainty also means that sometimes we may find ourselves questioning God. We question his ways and we question his plans. And for some of you, the mystery we come to recognize is that our experience doesn't match our expectation of God. Have you ever found that? What we're actually experiencing isn't necessarily the thing we read or the thing that we believe. And sometimes our experiences, therefore, don't match what we see in the Bible. And we wonder why some faithful Christians experience unrelenting things, unrelenting financial pressures or while others seem to enjoy this continual abundance why some people live and some people die and even after praying for healing we don't see the effect or the result that we were desiring and you can feel disillusioned you can feel disempowered by those apparent differences but hopefully these uncertainties actually drive us into a greater explanation and an exploration of what the Bible says. And Jesus commanded his disciples and eventually the entire church through the ages to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to clean those who have leprosy and to drive out demons. And he didn't send us out to simply pray for the sick. He actually quite forcibly said, heal the sick. And yet when we look at it, sometimes our experience tells us that's not always the result of our prayers. Have you found that? And it can be disillusioning and disheartening. Why would God command us to heal the sick and then not back up those prayers for healing by actually healing the person that we pray for? And that experience can cause us to run a mile from praying for the sick or stepping out and praying for others for healing. And that's, that's just in the church, let alone then when potentially we could have been empowered to do something about it outside of the walls of this community together and with those that don't know Jesus. So not knowing how God will respond to our prayers, we often then step back from practicing his commands. And may, 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 I don't know, I might be totally wrong, maybe that's just me, but I don't know. Do you see what I mean? In fact, not only did we step back, but sometimes we start to become very skeptical about the whole thing anyway. If someone says they're healed, we're kind of like, you kind of, I don't know. If you don't wince with your face, maybe you do in your heart. Oh, it was just a little headache anyway. They probably didn't really even have that. So can you see how this whole thing can become a bit confusing? Because on the one hand, we know that God is sovereign and that he sent Jesus to commission us to pray and to heal the sick. And yet, on the other hand, we know from experience that often healing does not always occur. And that, I would say, is the tension that we need to learn to get hold of and not back off from. Because our part is to obey his commands, and his part is to execute his will. And we know his will. That's the stuff we read and we realize is in the book. And what the Bible doesn't tell us is which people he is or he isn't going to heal. And we have to learn to leave that to him and to his sovereignty. And we don't always know and we can't always see. Is there, is there another factor in all of that? Is there a lack of unity? Is there a demonic factor? Is there a delayed healing? Again, what I'd say is I think we have to learn to trust and to lean into his sovereignty, to grasp that 
Well, we, we do what he commands and we do it in the way that he commanded us to do it and then we leave the rest to him. That we do what he says because he says it, not because of what we might or might not see as a result of doing it. And it all goes into the complexities and also realizing that sometimes he allows suffering and struggles and hardships for his purposes. And he has seasons and times for the experiences of our lives that can alter our minds and alter our understanding of what he's doing. So regardless of whether or not someone is healed or not, the bottom line is we have to learn to be people that trust his sovereignty. And there are times when our faith does make a difference in God's responsiveness to our prayers. And even that is slightly mysterious because the mystery lies in the fact that God, who gives the gift of faith for the specific instant, sometimes even does that in the way that he chooses. And whether God's timing includes healing or not is determined by his sovereign will, which is always right. And again, we have to learn to trust that. There's something so powerful, I think, in us starting to let go and letting go of us thinking that we get to control it or that we even fully understand it and actually just acknowledging and saying, do you know what, God, I just trust you. There are a number of ways in which I think faith is manifest in our prayers, in our prayers for healing. On occasion, the faith of the person needing healing is so instrumental. You see it in Matthew 9, verse 22. It says this, Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has made you well and the woman was healed in that moment. While at other times, the faith of a friend or a family member, Matthew 15, verse 28, dear woman, Jesus said, go. So he said, Jesus said to her, your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. Similar in Mark Two verse five. Sometimes the faith is the focus is on the faith of the person being prayed for for the one who needs healing. It says this, Mark nine verse seventeen. What do you mean if I can? Jesus asked. Anything is possible for the person who believes. The father instantly cried out, "I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief." At other times, faith apparently plays no part whatsoever in the healing. John five one to nine. I won't read it now because of time, and I know <clears throat> I'm jumping around a little bit, but I just want you to know I'm, I'm not making this up. It's, it's in the book. This is the stuff we read, and this is the place that we learn. Actually, in the Gospel of John, from, from what I can see, faith is never mentioned as the condition for healing. And the point really is that on some occasions, God simply heals by his sovereign act of his will, unrelated to anything to do with us. However, in the vast majority of cases, Jesus healed people because of someone's faith. And in both the case of Jairus and the woman with the discharge of blood in, in Mark 5 that you can read, faith is directed towards Jesus as an expression of need. Mark 5:22 then the leader of the synagogue whose name was Jairus arrived when Jesus when he saw Jesus he fell at his feet pleading fevertly with him my daughter is dying he said please come and lay hands on her heal her so that she can live in in Luke 17 verse 11 Jesus healed the 10 lepers and when one of them returned to him and said thanks Jesus said your faith has made you well when Bartimaeus asked Jesus to heal him of his blindness, Jesus said to him, go, your faith has healed you, Mark 10. 
And in Mark 2, the famous story of the paralytic being lowered through the roof, Jesus healed when he saw the man's friend's faith. So, so, so was faith important to Jesus? Well, the simple answer, I think, is quite obviously that faith magnifies the mercy and the power of God. And by the very nature, faith leads us to look away from ourselves and to look away from any kind of notion of self-reliance and confidently trust God for his provision. Faith is almost like a confession of our personal inability and of God's limitless power. And I think that's a crucial part of what it is to grow in our relationship with Jesus. When we relate to God with genuine faith, the focus is not on the person who believes, but it's on the God to whom we look and in whose promises and, and power we place our confidence and our trust. You say, faith really is just an act of self-denial. Faith itself, I guess you could say, actually, in itself carries no power, but it's instrumental because it holds a significance from the role it plays in helping us to relate to the God who answers prayers. So in the gospel, we see that faith is it, faith in Jesus and in his ability to heal often does actually affect the outcome because Jesus took special delight in healing those who trusted in his power and people who were open and receptive to his ability to perform a mighty work and a mighty miracle. Now, I know all of that said, for some of you, this is really hard because you haven't been healed. You've seen others healed and you felt frustrated and at times that can lead to a degree of skepticism and you've also many of you will have seen excesses in other places and you will have had hurtful prior experiences and you will have lived through the hurt of seeing loved ones in significant pain having been prayed for and prayed for and prayed for and prayed for I, but equally i can't back off from what i know to be true it's so much easier to say, oh, guys, well, let's, therefore, let's just take the middle ground. Let's, let's take the focus off this and let's just crack on with other stuff. We can't do it because we have to go again and go again and go again. Matthew 9, 28, Jesus asked the two blind men one question. Do you believe I am able to heal you? Do you believe I'm able to heal you? Jesus sorry, not Jesus, Jesus wants to draw out what they think about him. I think that's an amazing thing, whether or not they trusted him and his ability to heal. And the response that came is, yes, Lord. And he says, according to your faith, it will be done, Jesus said. And they were instantly healed. Jesus regarded their confidence in his power to help them as faith and dealt mercifully with them on that basis. Although you and I may think that our confidence in divine power is too obvious to play a role in whether or not someone is healed, Jesus kind of treated it as quite of, cru of crucial importance. The leper in Matthew 8 said to Jesus, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. The leper had no reservations when it came to Jesus' ability, but he was almost reluctant to presume upon Jesus' will. Notice that I think Jesus doesn't actually then rebuke him for those doubts as if it was some kind of shortcoming in his faith with the, that would then go on to jeopardize his healing. When I, you know, when I pray 
for people to be healed, I often find myself saying to people, almost why don't we confess out loud our belief that God is able to heal them? Sometimes I think it's, it's actually quite a powerful thing to do because what it does is it taps into some of the reservations or some of the, 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 like, the control that we almost mentally carry. I have never healed anybody. I've seen Jesus heal a number of people. It's on him, it's not on us. Sometimes we don't do it because you think, I'm, I can't heal you. I, I, I know I can't heal people, but I know that he can. Another aspect of healing prayer that I think we, I just want to briefly consider is the relationship between healing and the confession of sin. Now, I want to be so, so careful here because I've personally seen many people physically healed through these moments. I've also seen many people bruised and deeply scarred by the excesses of some in these moments. There is an important word on the subject in James 5.16. He says this, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. results. James lightly has in mind the sins of bitterness or resentment, or jealousy, or anger, or unforgiveness in our relationship with one another. Though we may be thinking of other sins that maybe have been committed against God. And he probably has in mind the act of confessing to the person whom you've sinned, or confessing to another believer, maybe something more general in a disobedience. I've seen so many times and it's, it's, it's actually not what I've seen. It's what we read in the book. We've got to be careful sometimes. We say, oh, we've seen this. Like, Hang on, this is what we see in the book. That's what we want to live out. But there is a link, I think, between the emotional. And there's also a link between the confession of sin. And it carries this unlocking moment that unlocks something in the physical and the emotional healing. Now, please, 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 please hear the heart with which I say that. I, I'm not saying that if you or a loved one has not been healed, that is a result of sin or unconfessed sin that you didn't even know that you even had. Or if that you pray for someone for physical healing, we say, oh, you've not been healed because of your unforgiven sin. Like, I, I, I know I'm making a thing of that, but it's because I've seen it, and not in this setting, but in other settings. And honestly, that's not where we want to go at all. But Paul's prayer for Ephroditus weren't answered, at least not at first. We see it in Philippians 2. Clearly, Paul could not heal at will. And aside from Jesus, no one else could either. But even Jesus had limitations from the Father on how he could heal. John 5:19. so Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does Matthew 6 verse 5 and because of their unbelief he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them he was amazed at their unbelief the fact that healing is an expression of divine mercy is quite significant Philippians 2 27 he was certainly ill in fact he almost died but God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. That it, that it's seen that way, it should be viewed as, 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 as right. It's like healing isn't this payment of debt. God doesn't owe us healing. We don't deserve healing. I believe we should have faith for healing, but there is a vast difference 
between faith in the mercy and the divine mercy of God and a presumption based on an alleged right. Of course, there will be numerous instances where we simply don't know the cause of the affliction. So often that's the case, and we've got to be careful about drawing direct cause and effect conclusions about why a particular person suffers from a particular illness. There's, there's kind of no benefit in any way in trying to be smarter than the Holy Spirit. You know, we've got to be so careful to avoid, to think that this is, this is about us or in any way we get to control something. And therefore avoid thinking that God will heal us unless we, we say something right. We have the right grammar or like the right theologically sophisticated prayer. God, I think, is primarily concerned with the attitude of our hearts and the compassion that we might have for the hurting and our dependence on him and a longing and acknowledgement of his sovereignty rather than any style or sophistication that we might think we need to have or carry because the degree of healing or relief isn't in any way ever a measure of success. The heart and the longing that we always just want to have is obedience. And so our job isn't to heal people. Our job is to continually place ourselves before Jesus, offering, lifting, carrying people to his feet in the full knowledge that with that in mind that we regularly are going to walk into the place of uncertainty but not allowing that in any way to deter our faith or our resolve to continually step back in and realize that this isn't about gaining knowledge this is about doing because we want to do what Jesus did and we want to be empowered to do it and we want to do it in the way that he commanded us to do it Therefore, with that in mind, let me just really quickly as I finish, just give us a few really practical, quick few thoughts. I personally think it's really helpful that when you're praying for somebody for healing, that you have your eyes open and it's actually quite helpful that they close theirs. Why do we do that? Well, I often think there's physiological responses that we need to observe that actually help inform and guide the way that we pray. Sometimes you see a trembling, a deepening of the breathing, a weeping, all those kind of things. And in those moments, we don't want to rush. We want to spend time with people lingering in prayer and being really quite patient. Because if we sense or see that God is doing something and it's nothing to do with us, surely that's the thing that we want to bless. And we want to be aware, though not necessarily it has to be there, that sometimes people do have physical manifestations in those moments. People, a number of you would often report that you'd have some kind of tingling or a spasm or warmth in the area where the pain, the pain or the affliction is located. And sometimes you would feel or sense an alleviation of that pain in the moment. Sometimes it's quite a gradual thing. Sometimes it's in stages rather than instantaneous and on occasion people do sometimes begin to weak and when those kind of things happen I think it's really helpful that we just ask very gentle questions for the people that we're praying for like how do you how do you feel do you sense God is doing something are you in seeing an increase in your faith are you struggling with some kind of doubt or fear and on depending on the answer to that I think then we adjust the prayer that we're praying appropriately but we never need to be frustrated. Again, I think some people don't pray for people because they're frustrated that they don't see it. I'm like, well, uh, again, I, I can't do this. This isn't a me thing. This is a him thing. 
And it really helpful, I think, to hear briefly what somebody once prayed for. I've seen people sometimes jump in so quickly that they ask for a knee and somehow they're ending up praying for a toenail. And it's like rather than jump in, what we really want to do is we just want to listen and we want to discern what the spirit might be doing. Because in our nervousness of I've got to somehow heal you, we jump in with the prayer and say, I I can't heal you. I just want to hear and listen to maybe what the Lord might be doing. And to also view it that we all get to do this. This isn't a me thing. This isn't a some people thing. We all get to do this and learn to do this and to step out in faith. And of course, there'll be numerous instances when we simply don't know the cause of the affliction. And we've got to be careful about drawing any kind of cause and effect conclusion with that. But we just step into seeking to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the thing that he commanded us to do and therefore to seek and find ways to do it regularly. I'd say the more I've prayed for people for physical healing, the more I've seen people physically healed. The more I haven't done it, the less I've seen. And so surely we want to be people that do it and learn to do it more and more. So we're going to do exactly that. Why don't we, why don't we stand together? Let's just, maybe just close your eyes. Let's just rest in the presence of God. Come, Holy Spirit. We're so expectant for God to move among us. We love to be sensitive to what he, he is doing in the way that he's doing it. I think before we do anything else, it might be, might be a good idea for each of us in our own, in our own hearts to um, either confess, declare our belief, our faith, or to confess our unbelief, or wherever we're at on that scale. And it doesn't matter where we are, but just being honest before the Lord. Honest about our heart's response to that, whether we are full of faith, or actually we know we carry unbelief. We don't want to, but it's the reality. And so why don't we just, in our, in our, in our hearts, in our minds, just before the Lord, just... Just have an exchange with him.
just just want to encourage you, don't disengage from what the Lord's doing. You just, a number of you now, you just see the gentleness of Jesus. It's like a, just an increase in that. Some of you are just sensing almost physically the presence of God. You just, you just know. It's like a big finger that is highlighting you. Some of you, there's like a, there's a, there's a rapid and sudden increase in your faith and your desire to carry um, the presence of God supernaturally outside the walls of the church. There's like an equipping for that coming on some of you. It's just going to be an increase in words of knowledge, senses, faith, a boldness. Some of you have carried things in your heart for quite a season, physically. Pains, robbed dreams and longings, physical hardships and challenges. The, this, this in itself is, is quite a vulnerable, hard moment for some of you. Some of you, I think, have got um, like physical misalignments to certain things you can't do or have been restricted in movement. I think there's a, um, maybe a couple of you, it's like a, uh, it's a, there's an eye thing where there's like a, um, a, a pain around the back of your eye socket, but also like a, a, a dullness and a fuzziness to what you're able to see. I just believe specifically the Lord would want to reach into that this morning. But I, I think there's a number of you where there's like a, will you, will you dare to go again? Just reminded of that song, I'll praise him on the mountain, but I'll praise him when the mountain's in my way. Will you bring an offering of praise regardless? But I do believe there's a significant stirring to see a release of physical healing this morning. I think for some of you as well, it's like that thing I was saying earlier about being called out of the stands. You just It's not anything to do with the physical thing. It's more just a, you just have an awareness that the Lord is calling you into more than you've almost settled for. So let's pray for each other. If you'd like to receive prayer, if there are things in your life that um, you'd love to see healing, healing from, physical healing, any kind of healing, um, why don't you come, come forward now and we will pray. Just get a sense as well, some of you have been, it's like you're about to launch into something new. I don't know if that's a new job or a new venture or you take, you've got a moment of risk in your life that you're about to take. And yeah, again, if that is specifically you and a word of knowledge for that, we'd love, we'd love to pray for you, but and also anything else.
and let people stand alongside you and pray for you and bless what the Lord's doing. And as, as people have responded to that, let's not leave them long. If you're in a small group, will you pray for some of these guys with the gentleness and the awareness that some of these guys will have carried things for, for, for quite a season and quite a time. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.